Hello, and welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. This is a podcast all about our food systems and how we fit into them. If you are curious about your food and where it comes from, you are in the right place. I am Liz Reitzig, your host, and we have Rachel Mills, our wonderful co-host with us today. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Liz. Good to be with you again. It's always wonderful. Now, Rachel, I'll give the introduction I've given many times before that while I have been spending the past approximately 22 years studying our food systems and the food that goes into our bodies and how that works, you have been studying the financial system and how the economy works. So mm -hmm. these are two enormous systems and looking at how they interact with each other and how they interact with us. That's an important piece of this bigger puzzle that we call living our lives, right? Yep. <clears throat> yep. I've been looking into finances, sound money, um, politics, and the political economy, and uh, especially lately, the, the healthcare economy, which is something that probably enters into this discussion, but we'll get into it. Yes, we will. Today, we have a really hot topic. It is April 2023, and recently, some news has come out about the livestock industry. And let's be clear, this is about industrial agriculture in our country, but also beyond that, and their use of mRNA vaccines in livestock. And now, I believe it was an attorney reported on this saying that this has been going on in our livestock for several years. This caused a huge amount of alarm. So we are going to talk about these vaccines and our industrial ag system, how that relates to us. And then you're going to talk a little bit about the economics of industrial ag and what are we really looking at if we want to change a system, right? Right. And we're also going to talk about towards the end, because we always like to end with empowerment and what you can do. We're going to talk about how to find clean meat and clean meat. And what is that even? So let's dive mm -hmm. right in, Rachel. I've got my notes here in front of me. So I will be referencing them because there are a lot of points we want to cover today. Mm -hmm. Quite a lot. So, all right. Yes. So Lots of people are making noise about this particular issue right now, the mRNA vaccines in livestock. And I want to preface all of this with saying people rightfully want to know what is in their food. I am such a huge advocate of that and such a huge advocate of the transparency and the honesty that needs to be part of our food system. Huge advocate for that on principle across the board. Now, That being said, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about some of the alarmism that's coming out and what are maybe some of the realities. Uh, are these particular vaccines a huge concern nutritionally or what about ethically or morally? Now, from my perspective, they're a huge issue morally and ethically but I don't see these particular vaccines as being a cause for major nutritional alarm. And I will explain that a little bit, but one of the things I want to focus on is 
listen, if there's something that you no longer have control over, like what you ate two years ago, what good is it going to do to super stress over that rather than put that energy into finding a solution for the future? True. So if there's something that's no longer in your control, let's figure out what is and empower you to move forward with that. Mm -hmm. Also nutritionally, what we do know about the mRNA vaccines is that they break down really quickly under heat. And most of us (laughs) cook our meat. So the, the thought that there's going to be this dangerous gene altering vaccine that gets injected into the livestock and then is part of our food supply and then becomes part of us. Now that's a stretch for me. I don't think that that's exactly how it goes. That being said, have you you seen the quote that's going around? I think it's like Bill Gates or somebody saying that for the vaccine hesitant, if they won't line up and pull up their sleeve and get a shot in the arm, that they're going to put the vaccines in the food system and like vaccinate people that way. And you can be vaccinated orally, like the polio vaccine in many places is given on a sugar cube and it's like a, a few drops of liquid. So like oral vaccines are possible. So I, I'm trying to think of a mechanism to vaccine, put the vaccine in the food system in some way. And maybe livestock is, is the way, because I, I don't know what is the mRNA vaccine supposed to do to a cow? Right. So uh, according to my research and what I've read, my understanding is that the MR, mRNA vaccines that are being administered to the livestock are for specific livestock diseases. So for example, okay, so it's not coronavirus. It's just the technology at this point. Correct. Now what you're speaking to, I think is a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I haven't seen anything that it's actually happening, but let's speak to that broad concern because ultimately Rachel And this is what I want to drive home today. If we can just reiterate this over and over, but if you want to know what is in your food, you need to have face interactions with the producer of your food. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that again, for emphasis to know what's in your food, you need to have face-to-face interactions with the producer and you need to be able to ask them questions. So if there is a farm farmer, right? Because this is all about people and you cannot ask them basic questions, that's probably not the right farm for you to be getting food from. Mm -hmm. If you mistrust their answers, find a different farmer. Right. Yeah. Now, I also want to take this opportunity to mention a a slight uh, nuance here, okay? We talk on this podcast a lot about local foods, right, Rachel? Mm Mm-hmm. At home. So I want to make sure that we're distinguishing between local foods, which are not always organic or GMO free or um, coming from unvaccinated livestock, but they're local. And if we are looking for secure food systems in a long time frame, supporting our local producers is what will ensure highest probability of a secure food system locally. It also Mm -hmm. means that we have the greatest ability 
to impact how they are producing the food. I mean, imagine if local farm five miles from you has a hundred customers locally, and they all say, hey, farmer, we would like livestock produced this way, or we would like vegetables produced this way. That's the power of local buying and face-to-face interactions. That's what the market is demanding. Yes. The producers uh, should respond. Exactly, right? And they will, because you know, a fundamental rule of economics is you get more of what you support. Yeah, or what you demand in economic terms, supply and demand. Exactly. So that is a little bit different than that emphasis on local foods is a little bit different than looking for the highest quality, highest certification, or the specific needs that you might have nutritionally. Then those things can intersect in a Venn diagram, but they're separate considerations. That makes sense. Yeah. So a really important question for everybody listening is to ask yourself, are you willing to make changes in your buying habits? Are you willing to support a local producer? All right, the the broad scope, uh, well, returning back to the viral videos and the viral comments about the mRNA vaccines in our livestock, I have not seen solutions offered other than there's a bill in Missouri that requires labeling of genetically modified foods. Mm -hmm. Really, the solution is you, listener, you go find a local source that you feel really confident in supporting. Mm-hmm. Also, let your sources know wherever they may be. Let them know what your preference is. Because like you're saying, Rachel, supply will shift to meet demand. Especially if you're willing to pay a premium. If it means enough to you to pay a little bit more, Yeah, exactly. And I want you to get into that in just a second. Now, here's the thing. I am all for anything, anything we can do to increase transparency in our food system. I do not have a high confidence level that bills in any state legislature or on the national level are going to succeed. And here's why, Rachel. A lot of us have been working on transparency and labeling for the GMO issue for decades. We still don't know. You were, you were working on it back when I was on the Hill. Yeah. We still don't have it. So this issue, I believe very strongly, this issue is going to come down to personal choices really is. If there are millions of mamas out there saying, we want to have clean food. We want to have unvaccinated meat. We want to have non-genetically modified vegetables. That's going to be, there's going to be a shift. And we've seen some slight shifts already in the food system because of that, because of those huge demands. Now, Rachel, the sad thing is a lot of people still don't care. Right? Yeah. Until that wave becomes so much stronger, I don't think we have a really a good chance at all to shift this politically. I think our power is in the marketplace. And Mm -hmm. Rachel, this is where you have so much expertise and so much ability to simplify these issues and make them 
easy to understand. So can you tell us what does it take to shift a market besides the change in ideas? What does it take in terms of people's willingness to uh, increase their budget in a certain way, decrease it in a certain way? What does it mean to take funding away yeah. from um, I think this is where we should get into a conversation about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know about that? I'm going to Google on that right now. So I have it in front of me. Um, and uh, I mean, if you're wondering why people don't care, I mean, in, in a rough economy and an economy that's worse than officials, official numbers are reporting, um, people, uh, are more concerned about surviving than, you know, particular, uh, you know, uh, quality things that they might ask for in their, um, in their food. I mean, unfortunately, you know, if, if, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and just barely surviving, you're not going to go out and get organic. Um, and the, the SNAP benefits, uh, I, I think, have, have there's been some work done. Like, you can use your SNAP benefits, your food stamps, at the farmer's market. I've, I've seen. I, I went last weekend, and it's just lovely. I love the farmer's market. And I spent a lot of money on a local uh, uh, dairy producer. Got Yay. some raw, raw milk for my pets. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and I got, I got some uh, butter some butter finally uh, made from raw milk and some uh, raw cheese. And anyway, um, eggs, I, I gave them a lot of money. But anyway, um, that's more difficult for a lot of people. Um, and the people who can prioritize it should prioritize it. And that shifts the window a little bit. But I mean, when we have a lot of people and a lot of people that are in the bottom income levels. Unfortunately, the economics of that mean that there's a lot of people to feed. And that's why we have the, you know, the industrial farming that's kind of on a mass scale. Um, it, it's somewhat a matter of survival, but we have to walk back from that, you know? And I guess, I mean, this is <laughs> easier said than done, but in, in order, to shift that, I, I think our economy has to be healthier in general. And part of that is sound money, you know, and, you, and you're speaking to a precious metals person, but I mean, right now the, the money is so toxically overprinted and, you know, like thrown out of a helicopter at people chasing the same amount of goods. We just, we have to produce the kinds of goods that, um, is sustainable it, and people have to be paid a sustainable wage you know and, and all of that sounds very difficult in this economic environment but if we had sound money where you don't have inflation you don't have prices going insane you don't have jackpots uh full of money going off to ukraine you know <laughs> <laughs> and all this government spending on on stuff that makes no sense, <clears throat> money laundry, um, then your your money is more reliable and sound and you can 
you can imagine an economy that's on sound footing on its weights and measures as is said in the bible and it's just better for everyone but in in a toxic currency environment like we have right now and have had since frankly 1913 um you you have a lot of people that are just trying to survive um and and so it's a very difficult case that we make to try to get somebody who's just surviving on baked beans and mac and cheese to care about organic and locally grown um, things. It, it's a tough sell. Yeah, it is a tough sell. Um, but from my perspective, I, I think honest sound money and, um, you know, just, just a, a, a more responsible uh, fiscal government you know, I, I think that's a huge part of the solution because then you don't have as many people starving, you know, right. or or close close to poverty or in poverty. I think well, that's, that's, yeah. Let me flip the question around and get a different perspective from you because I agree with you okay. on the hierarchy of needs. And, and the study of economics is really the study of an aggregate of human behavior, right? Mm -hmm. and we use as part of that study, we use currency and money to measure something, this human behavior, right? Yes. And we are seeing some shifts, but I'm, I'm totally with you on that, that hierarchy of needs. And how can we ask people to focus over here when what they need today is to eat? Mm -hmm. And when we flip that question around, instead of looking at it in like, in terms of all the people buying food, we've also got to look at it in terms of the people producing food, Rachel, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's some fundamental truths about people who are doing something for a living, whether or not it's a sustainable living and whether or not it's actually paying them enough to afford mm -hmm. food, because a lot of our farmers are the ones in poverty right now. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's sound money. They, they are under so much pressure to produce yeah. and produce and produce in yeah. order to make their margins work that they, they have to make these difficult choices and, and produce Yes. Crappy, toxic stuff because exactly. that's volume. So exactly. I mean, that's, that's what I was looking for is like, when you have that kind of pressure on the producer, what are you going to yeah. get? What is the economic understanding of why this is still being produced? It's not just consumer demand. I mean, that is a, a factor, right? But what is mm -hmm. it in terms of the economic picture of the producers? Yeah. I mean, it, it all works together and all goes back to sound money, <laughs> says the yeah. economist. <laughs> no, yeah. but, but really, I mean, money is a representation of time and labor, really. And so, value, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it all goes back to your time. You are exchanging your time for money, and then you are exchanging that money for goods that you need. And if the money keeps losing value faster than you can increase your productivity, like you're just, you're in this cycle of just desperation, um, just barely keeping up. Um, so that needs to be fixed. I agree with you. And, and that's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. That's that's like the mountain, right? We're, that we're at the bottom of Everest looking up. Whoa. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. that big of a deal. Um, and on the individual level, I mean, Rachel, I know that there are millions of families out there who can afford good food. 
They can't mm-hmm. afford to go to the farmer's market and spend the kind of money you spent this past weekend. Okay. Or local it's producer. true. Yeah. So if we're talking to those families, mm-hmm. what's, what is there for them? I mean, I, I know my answers to that. One of them is uh, change your food budget, like take it out of your entertainment budget or out of your um, going to the movies budget or something and put it into food because this is so important and so valuable. This is yeah. more <clears throat> of your time in that exchange that you're talking about. Good. There food. has to be some, there has to be something in it for them though. Health. And I, yes. Yes. And I think <laughs> if, if, if people stopped eating toxins, you know, then they would feel better. And this is where I had this idea a while ago, um, like a 30 day challenge, you know, a 30 day challenge. And I don't think this would be easy, maybe not even possible. I I mean, of course it has to be possible, but challenge yourself to for 30 days, only eat local, see what that would look like. Just give it 30 days or maybe even just a week. You know, like yeah, go just to the farmer's market or find a local producer wherever um, and and try to sustain your food allotment just on local and see if you don't feel better physically. I like I'm on a fitness kick here. I'm in my workout clothes. But um, for, I guess, a month and a half now, I've been going to the gym, eating better. I've been doing Weight Watchers, which, you know, that's a whole thing. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun. It gamifies it. But anyway, I feel so much better. Um, that's what's in it for you. Yes. 30 days, 30 day challenge and, and see if you can do it and see if you don't feel amazing. And I'll add a little bit to that. So, uh, sometimes people have a definition of local and sometimes they don't. So a commonly held definition of local is food within produced within a hundred mile radius. Uh Now that being said, choose your, if you want to do this challenge, choose your own radius of local or make a decision. Like one of the things, one level of that specific challenge could be increase your total local calories by 10%. So buy, buy your meat locally. Right. And then you have that benefit of having the face-to-face at the market or at the farm gate, the face-to-face interaction with the farmer where you can ask them, what is your vaccination policy? And then you can hear from that. Like those open-ended questions. If if you ask some farmers now, do they, do they have GMOs? Like you're asking a really specific question and they're going to try to figure out what you want and maybe answer what they think you want to hear versus, or, or one is, is your meat grass fed? And mm-hmm. if the person asking that question means hundred <laughs> percent, but the farmer hearing that question has his cows out in pasture for two days <clears> of the year, sometimes they'll say yes to that question because there's no, sure they have eaten there. grass. Right. <laughs> so ask open questions, open-ended questions. Like, can you tell me how you feed your animals? And also remember that cows, goats, sheep, pork, and chickens all have different diets. So it shouldn't be one thing for all of them, mm-hmm. right? But if you ask them and give them a chance to tell you, they will. Because you know what? Farmers are proud of their work. 
they, they, they should them. want they should want to tell you all about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but it, it, if I go to the farmer's market, I don't think there's anything that I need to sustain myself that I can't get. I can get lo locally baked bread from a artisan baker, anything um, bread-wise. I can get vegetables. I can get meat, dairy, eggs. I'm trying to think of something that I can't get. Hot sauce. Dattle pepper hot sauce is a St. Augustine thing, um, D-A-T-I-L. And I don't think you'll find it anywhere else in the country. If you ever come to St. Augustine, make sure you get some Dattle pepper hot sauce. It's it's a local thing and it's like a sweet heat. It's it's very, very spicy, but it's it's got like this sweet, earthy, um, very distinct flavor. Anyway. No, Rachel, that's beautiful because what you just hit <clears throat> on is like that you get these seasonal local flavors when you, mm -hmm. when you do this, when you think of your food locally and right mm -hmm. now, I mean, it's spring in the mid Atlantic and we are getting the spring crops, the asparagus, the, um, uh. uh, garlic scapes are going to be here soon. So as a part of this whole shift, right. You can think about your food and be so excited for what's coming. And that adds value, mm -hmm. right? Like, look at the way we're talking about these foods that are local to us and seasonal to us. It's so much fun. So yeah. not only do you get to steer completely away from mRNA vaccines in your livestock, it opens up this whole new world of food and tastes and seasonality and nutrition and yeah, feeling great. And having fun cooking. I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, because what we were talking about just now brought to mind this awesome restaurant that we have in St. Augustine called the Floridian in downtown in the historic district of, of St. Augustine. And it's all locally sourced farm to table stuff. Do you have feelings about farm to table and that label that a lot of restaurants are using these days? Because that's a great restaurant. It's very earthy. It's very hippie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like, it's like knowing your farmer ask questions because I know that there are some restaurants in my area that do that. And they're a hundred percent behind that. And they want to support the local farms. And then there are other restaurants that spend two weeks a year getting lettuce from a local farmer and their advertisement is, Oh, we source locally. Oh, we support local <laughs> farmers. It's like, okay, if yeah. 1% of the products in your restaurant are coming from directly from local suppliers and all the rest are coming off the, uh, the big truck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then yeah, that's not transparent. And so if we're going to make choices about the food that we're eating, Rachel, we need transparency and we are simply not going to get that from our regulatory structure or from right. industrial ag. It's not going to happen. We've covered that You're so correct. many times. We've covered that in talking about the FDA's generally recognized as safe status. We've covered it in um, other labeling issues, talking about milk, all kinds of things. So if you want transparency, you have to take a certain amount of responsibility to have these conversations. And you know but what? You know yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was going to say politically where we do have to be careful. And I, I think you probably agree 
is um, defensiveness, being on the defensive end of um, regulations that come down on farmers that, you know, dictate certain ways of farming and producing food that we might not like, that we have to protect against. In other words, maybe they won't uh, dictate that labeling has to be transparent, but they sure as well uh, dictate that you've got to pasteurize your milk and you've got to do this and this and this. And, you know, I, I can envision where they might uh, require that you vaccinate your herd a certain way. I, I think that is a requirement in, in a lot of places. So there's not the option to not do those things. So that's something, I mean, I, I know that some of that you agree with, you think it's reasonable and, and is safe, but some of it's not. So that's some, that's a, an area where like defensive, to be defensive against undue burdensome regulation. Because that increases the right. farmer's costs and and um, increases right. pressure. But but ultimately, Rachel, if we have a face to face food system, mm -hmm. we really don't need any of that. And if we have it on a hyper local level, and and I don't know that. Um, I mean, I know we've talked about the Merrick's disease vaccine in birds, and I'm not a fan. I'm and I don't think it should be mandatory at all. Nowhere. Really. I do think that we, Oh yeah, not at all. No, we've, we've okay. talked about that. What, what I've said, and I, I hope it's been clear is that any disruption to that particular um, intervention will cause a collapse of our chicken industry. So whether that disruption is um, intentional, like, uh, you know, think of worst case scenario. Um, yeah. We all have imaginations, whether that is intentional <laughs> yes. or completely unintentional, like the virus mutates, then whatever it is, we're so reliant on that particular vaccine in our entire chicken industry right now that it would collapse without it. Now, I'm not saying it should be mandatory. And it, it, in fact, it isn't because there are some hatcheries that will sell you Dale chicks without it, but it's so ubiquitous that it's ex exceptionally difficult to find farmers who are raising either layers, the chickens that are mm -hmm. providing eggs or broilers, the chickens that we eat without that vaccine in it. Yeah. Right. But I, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it should be mandatory at all. And mm -hmm. I don't think it is. If I, if I, but I mean, somebody who knows better, please tell me. Um, and a, a side issue, a related issue is like antibiotics, uh, the, like the ubiquitous use of antibiotics, just blanketing your herd with antibiotics, just in case somebody might be sick. Um, that, that eliminates the need for the farmer to know their individual cows and pay attention to their individual cows. And if they've got a thousand head of cattle, you know, maybe it's, it's not even possible, but you can see in labeling at the grocery store and um, other places that the market is demanding no antibiotics. You can see things labeled with that. So you can tell the market is demanding that. And so the suppliers are responding. So- To some extent, um, there's always the nuance. <laughs> so there's always the exemptions. And there's also just lies. I mean, just flat out lies. 
and, and deception of different forms. So again, and and Rachel, you are so right. Antibiotics are a huge issue and they go hand in hand with the vaccines, right? Because when you have a system that is designed, it's built on an unhealthy foundation, guess Mm -hmm. what you're going to get more of? Unhealthy animals and then toxic food. Toxic food. Yeah. Unhealthy people. And what are we seeing more and more of in our country? And then antibiotic resistance, which is really scary. Right. I mean, it's a, it, it opens up this whole can of worms that you can go down any yeah. tangent. So the bottom line mm-hmm. is, look, if you are concerned about mRNA vaccines in your food or genetically modified organisms of any variety, good. That is a good place to be. And if you're outraged about it and that this is happening behind our backs, so to speak, good, be outraged. And then take all of that outrage and channel it into local change. Mm -hmm. Find your producers, talk to farmers, start growing something of your own, whatever that is. Uh, Cooperate with others who are doing this because I'll tell you, Rachel, it can take a hundred families getting together and saying, we're going to take all of our buying money over to these local producers, but you got to have that support just amongst yourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you have conversations with local producers, then they will shift their practices. If they know they've got a hundred families who are going to back up, buy from them. <clears throat> and guess what? When the supply chain collapses, when and if, when or if the supply chain collapses and the grocery stores are empty, who are those farmers going to take care of first? Exactly. And, those and 100 I families. There are working models of this all around our country. So yes, it works and it works amazingly. And you know what? People are joyful, connected. We're taking away people's isolation, right? When they have a yeah. community. And when the farmer knows, especially the farmers who have the land and have the ability to to transition from uh, industrial ag to sustainable ag, oh, Mm -hmm. that's such a blessing. And look at what it does to that pocket of the community. And then you get the families who are supporting that. I mean, it just ripples. I wonder what that does to cancer rates. (laughs) Uh, there I am with my conspiracy theory, <clears throat> which is what I, I said. I said, I wonder, I wonder what that does to cancer rates when you the stop eating. Thing. Yeah. Well, all we have on that, Rachel is anecdotal stories, right? Well, that's because the people that would fund the studies are not interested. <laughs> you don't find what you're not looking for. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those listening, look for those stories and listen to those stories because person to person is still really powerful. Yeah, it is data. It's not a randomized controlled study, peer reviewed journal, but that's not the only kind of data out there. (laughs) And us humans, we've relied on stories and discussion about each other for our entire history. So you know, there, there was science back before randomized controlled studies and peer reviewed journals. There was science before that. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's no, true. 
<laughs> to go off on a tiny little tangent here. Um, when my children were really young, we had this beautiful book. It, it was called you are an artist and it was, it was so wonderful. It was so inspiring and said, you are an artist. If you are curious about the shape of a seashell, you are an artist. If you gaze at the sunset, I'm probably not remembering all of the details, but I think about that all the time. And it's like, what is science? And what is a scientist? It's people who are curious and ask mm -hmm. questions and then start to uncover those questions. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what it is. I mean, yes, there's a scientific method and there's all kinds of ways to approach that, but it starts with asking questions. So if you yeah. are one of those question askers, yay, keep asking questions and keep pursuing and, those answers. And I, I like how you say, ask open-ended questions. In other words, don't ask, are your cows grass-fed? Ask, how are your cows fed? And let them tell you. Yep, exactly. R rather than just yes, no, because that, like you said, that can be deceptive. And you know what, Rachel, any day I would rather support and buy from a farmer who looks me in the eye and says, you know what, they're mostly grass fed, but I get some corn and feed them corn in the winter. than a farmer who looks at me and lies and says, yeah, they're grass fed. And then I find out later that they buy those cows at auction and put them on pasture for two weeks and then send them to the butcher and tell everybody they're grass fed. Because if you don't they have know, eaten a blade know. of grass. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Um, where are we? We have so, anything else for today? I think Maybe it's just the, the, the last segment of where do you find clean meat? Oh, mm -hmm. so let's say you're somebody who doesn't want the mRNA vaccines in your animals, but hey, the other vaccines you're not going to ask about you can talk to farmers about it and where you find the farmers. Here are a few suggestions. You can look, I mean, Google is such a great tool, right? Or whatever search engine you use. So find local farmers near you, find the farmer's markets and then find out if they're producer only markets or if there's some mix in there, go to the markets, talk to the farmers, ask other people, you know, where are they getting their meat? find out, have these conversations, but pursue it until you find a source you like. There's also online tools like 1000ecofarms.com. That's a mappable, searchable engine for local Ooh. farms near you. Yeah. Wow. And they do ask for farmers <clears throat> to understand that. So you should have some sense of what you're looking at before you start having those conversations. Farmers markets are actually a really great tool. And you know what, Rachel, most state, state level ag departments will have resources about where to find local producers as well. And most of our states, part of the ag department there is dedicated to supporting smaller scale farms. So they're <clears throat> out there and they are waiting for you to show up. Show up then. Show up, ask questions, be curious, and find a source that works for you, where the farmer cool. is answering your questions and those questions match your needs. Because we really 1000 ecofarms.com. Yes. And and Rachel, even if we're not gonna turn this whole ship around overnight, we can yeah. build a separate 
uh, concurrent system of local producers, small scale farming, food security in our communities. We can do that. And this is how you connect, you support, you ask questions, you cooperate and participate. Nice. Yeah. Good tips. I'm going to look that up. It sounds oversimplified, but it's not. It does, however, take effort. I want to find a farmer locally who will let me donate some labor <laughs> and just hang out <laughs> and I don't know, carry hay bales or something instead of carrying weights at the gym. That's what yeah. I want. It's so much fun because then you get to be outside and you're getting that good vitamin D from the sun and you get yeah. to be in fresh air and all of those things. Get exercise. Yes. Rachel, I've been athletic my whole life. I love being mm -hmm. athletic. And let me tell you, my farmer friends <laughs> just run circles around me. And, you know, sometimes I go out to help and I'm like, uh, I just cannot even <laughs> understand this gap in ability. But on the other hand, it's I like CrossFit. <laughs> it's like your own little CrossFit gym, except it grows food. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, oh, nice. Yes. The farmers, they are doing a lot of good work. Yeah. So, all right. We know where that leaves us. Yep. Eat for health. <laughs> Know, know your, your neighbor, neighbor and grow some food. Yeah. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you.